0: And we are live.
1: Uh, Hi, welcome everyone to Connected Learning TV. Uh, This is the second webinar in our September series titled Embracing Video Games for Interest-Powered Learning. Uh, I'm Paula Esquadra. I'm the Digital Marketing and Communications Manager for Glass Lab, uh, and I'll be your host for today. Uh, Throughout this month on Connected Learning TV, we'll be diving into deep conversations about leveraging video games for high-impact learning. Uh, So we'll be chatting today about the skepticism surrounding video games for learning um, and how to address all of those critiques. But before we dive into our chat, uh, we have a couple of quick details. To those watching live right now, we welcome your comments and questions uh, via the Twitter hashtag ConnectedLearning or via the Google Plus event page. Uh, we'll do our best to address your questions here in the Google Hangout. Uh, we're also chatting throughout the month on the Connected Learning Google Plus community site, so and using the same Connected Learning hashtag. So give us a shout out in case there's anything you'd like to chat about. I'd like to give our chance uh, our guests a chance today uh, to briefly introduce themselves before we dive in. Um, so Michael John, would you like to start?
2: Sure. I'm Michael John, or usually called MJ, and I'm the game director at Classline.
1: Oh, and what brought you to the video game learning space?
2: Um, I've been interested, well I've been making video games for about I want to say it's about 23, 24 years now uh, commercially and then just the last couple of years I uh, got some opportunities uh, through Glass Lab to build commercial, or learning video games and it just kind of was that offer you can't refuse. It was uh, such a cool challenge and uh, uh, not looking back.
3: Very cool. Uh, Liz Klein, would you like to go next? Hi, I'm Liz Klein. I'm product manager at Glass Lab. And I got interested in this space. I'm a former elementary school educator. And then after that I worked in publishing, educational publishing and ed tech. And I was looking for something different and something that really um, was a way to captivate and engage students. And so um, I I found learning games as the way to as a place for innovation. And so it just uh, totally fascinated me and here I am at Glass Lab working side by side with MJ.
1: Great to have you here. Uh, Randall, would you like to go next?
4: Sure. I'm glad to join you Glass Labers. Um, I guess Tim and I are the only non-Glass Labers here. Uh, I am the director of Game Train Learning. We're an educational nonprofit organization. Our mission is to um, broadly promote game-based learning in schools. So our, our big focus is how to train teachers Uh, in using game-based learning activities and game thinking in in their classes. Uh, So we do
0: uh, PD workshops and curriculum development. So that's me.
1: Pleasure to have you here. And Tim?
0: Hi, I'm
5: Tim Young. I work with John at CLA and on the Pursuitory.com project, which is about connecting interest to opportunity, and this past summer we ran a really fun and successful camp Minecraft program. Previously I've done research on StarCraft and competitive games.
1: Very cool. Uh, Well, uh, I suppose let's dive in. Uh, So for a long time video games haven't typically been associated with with learning and education, but they're now being uh, seen as a valuable resource that's being explored as something comparable to a book or a lecture and so on and so forth. Uh, What makes games um, fun in the classroom? What can they offer us? And what have you seen?
0: Liz, would you like to go first?
3: <laughs> so, one of the things that I think makes games so well suited for learning is just that it is a medium that students are super comfortable with because they're using it in their personal time and it is. Um, it is the way in which they're engaging with the world already and so why not capture and harness that inherent engagement that games have to offer and use it um, to help engage students in the classroom another thing that I think is so special about digital games is just that there are things um, that you can do in digital games that are difficult to do with traditional teaching methods um, such things as um, ways at, at getting at persistence, ways about um, um, embracing failure and using it to um, fuel further learning. And these um, habits of, of persistence um, and grit are things that students are doing in um, when they're playing games for fun, but these are also essential skills for academic success and so um, using learning games to, as a tool for that is just one of the myriad things um, that um, makes uh, games for learning so, so special.
0: Randall, what are your thoughts on that?
4: Well, OK, uh, I have a lot of thoughts on this. Uh, it's kind of a broad question, but uh, I'll do my best. I, I think, uh, I guess maybe backing up a step, games as a medium. Um, there's been articles written about you know games uh, or just another medium, uh, like books or video or something else that, that uh, are at the teacher's disposal. And if you could think about, say games didn't exist, and you can think about what medium could we create that would be the ideal learning medium for kids these days, and um, you would think maybe, well, it probably wouldn't be a book because it's a, uh, it's very passive, it's very one way, um, it's it's not as active, so you don't get um, engrossed or immersed in it as as much as a game. It doesn't provide you constant feedback. Well, I, I guess it kind of does, but you have to skip ahead chapters maybe. But in game, you're getting constant feedback. So so ideally, um, it it it's a medium where it presents you with challenges that are very motivating, and as you're uh, tackling those challenges, it's giving you feedback each and every second, pretty much. So it's in that way, it's it's a tremendous learning medium and and very different from the others that that we have today. So I think you know our talk about games today and the skeptics that think that you know games aren't a good learning medium, they're probably the best learning medium we have if our lessons are less designed right around
2: them. Thanks Randall. <laughs> I, I was just thinking about this actually this morning and you know we, we talk at Glass Lab a lot about this because um, half of our group comes from the world of games and half of it doesn't and so we get a lot of um, really interesting conversations and uh, when you think about you know the different types of media that are out there so let's say books, film, whatever it may be and that the dominant way that those provide us understanding is through sort of stories or sequential understanding. Um, games do something very different, which is that the dominant way of providing understanding is through systems. is through the understanding of, like, rule sets that interact with each other um, and how, when someone interacts with those, it, how does the system change? And really, that's how you win or lose at the game. And, and that's that is this fundamentally different thing about games that's also a really nice mesh with you know, what's really modern about what we'd like kids to understand. And and that's where, for me, like, getting involved in this has been really exciting. Like, all the rules and, and systems of understanding that we bring as game designers, applying that into uh, methods of learning.
1: And I think that touches really well on in terms of how, how children and students are learning today. Actually, regardless of whatever age range that that we're talking about. Uh, so we're talking about games that now aren't just summative. So um, at the end of the day when you've memorized or understood a certain set of material, you're tested. Now it's a little bit more iterative, a little bit more focused on the communication and relationships. So. Um, And and a lot of that can be very complex and very daunting. So what are the what are the fears that are often associated with bringing video games to the classroom, Uh, or even as a as a parent? um, How do you how do you address some of those
0: those fears? I I'll go. Uh, (laughs) uh,
5: I mean I think it's so one interesting thing that happened with our program with Minecraft over the past summer, I think a lot of you know that this game called Minecraft is this insane, insane phenomenon that maybe even transcends video games or is a redefining media or whatever. But you know, that game is a very pervasive game and a lot of pe- people, parents and children know about it. But even over the summer when we were running these programs, at the end of the, the, our little camp program where we had people do different challenges that would be associated with some kind of production uh, on the internet we had parents coming up to us saying, like, wow, this is such an eye-opening thing to a medium we never understood. And I think just not understanding what people are kind of doing our games or what video games are um, is, is kind of a big barrier in, in that respect. And even in a game like Minecraft, that's, you know, probably one of the most, if not the most popular game out there that people really don't understand. That's, you know, and, and games are complex and these systems are very complex. So it's it's, I can empathize, but, like, I feel like that's, a really huge barrier into I don't know bringing it not only just into the classroom but just kind of like as a valid thing that people can do that's I don't know from where I'm coming from as someone who's actually not from the education space but as like from from a game space instead
3: yeah I'll follow up on that point Um, I think one of the things um, educators have to do is make the learning that's happening in the game visible so you know, when students are immersed in that in a gaming experience, um, it's not as um, a, it's not as apparent to someone walking in the classroom what exactly kids are learning. Uh, if you walk in and, and the kids are all taking a quiz and and they're all you know writing answers and someone walking around, they see that the students are are you know in some way demonstrating their learning. So I think as um, you know as innovators in this space the job for us in many ways is to make that learning visible and to show um, in a way that parents and perhaps more traditional educators can understand um, that um, what's happening in the game and how it relates to um, really important um, either standards or curriculum and so there definitely is um, a focus at Glassob on making uh, the, the learning visible through reporting to um, to teachers about how um, gameplay actions are evidence of learning um, as well as um, sharing that with students. and um, eventually we'd like to you know share that with parents. So um, I definitely understand uh, what what Timothy's saying.
0: I'll jump in here. I, I agree 100% with you, Liz, that
4: we have to make the learning visible, but I guess the question is, what is the learning that we're focused on? Is it just the academics? And, you know, you see somebody come into, like, a Minecraft camp, like Tim's Minecraft camp, and you see, you know, them maybe playing around, and you think, okay, they're not really learning that much, but, you know, even if they are building something that are like uh, uh, the Roman Colosseum or something in history or, or some math lesson inside Minecraft, it's hard to see that, that you know, they're, they're learning other things besides just that academic content, and they're spending all this time, and so, sorry, Paula, if I'm jumping ahead in the questions, but what else are we teaching, and what else are they learning through these video game experiences?
5: If I can, like, add another question on top of that, this is a very actually a really interesting point you bring up, is like, you know, when you look at someone playing a game, you ask yourself, what exactly are they doing that constitutes learning? And I kind of oriented that question towards another thing that is very gamey, but people kind of look at it and be like, oh, yeah, that's totally okay. They're doing cool stuff there, which is sports, which is, like, super interesting, I think, to think about because when we push people to engage in sports or, like, engage in that competitive environment, we can say, okay, they're learning teamwork or co- collaboration and cooperation. And I'm like, well, that's that's just video games as well, you know, on the, depending on the right video game. So, again, it's, like you know, piling on top of that question, how it could just be it would happen over the next couple of years where people kind of see that video games are naturally collaborative or build teamwork or, you know, learn how to deal with competition, but, you know, that's a very, I guess, complicated question if you want to think about exactly how we're going to harness that.
2: Uh, yeah, Tim, actually, we've just been talking about that. <laughs> um, like, uh, well, I, I don't want to say too much, but, like, we, we've definitely given a lot of thought to how we can we can build um, collaboration systems that are uh, sort of unlike what you've seen in the past uh, using video games, um, which could be really cool. Um, and actually, I was just going to jump, kind of pile on Liz. Like, uh, we did a, a test uh, yesterday afternoon, Liz did, um, over at a, a school, uh, and saw, I think, some really exciting um, outcomes uh, through the, the, the data uh, that we collected. Where uh, just, and this actually goes to Randall's point. Like, it's not just, so this is with uh, our, our Mars Generation 1, our new game about argumentation. And yes, we're collecting information about argumentation are they figuring that out. But we also have this separate reports page of, like, did they persist and retry when they messed up? And uh, it flags if they do. And uh, just seeing that actually come into action based on actual gameplay, which happened yesterday, <laughs> is like so cool. And, and it almost makes me feel like when I looked at that report this morning, like I feel like I know these kids in a way like I've never met them, but I, I feel like I know which ones were uh, were persisting and were retrying things that went didn't go well. Um, it was it was really really cool, and and I think we're just starting to s- just scratch the surface of the of the power of that, but but we've we're onto something.
3: Yeah, and it was I mean I was at that playtest, and and I um I was t- telling kids um what what achievements I was seeing um. On our dashboard, and it was really um, exciting for that for the kids to know um, that they sort of were getting credit um, for the things that they don't get credit for at school necessarily, or at least not yet. Um, you know, one of them was about being bold, and is like, "I'm bold," um, and I felt like um, you know what what was really interesting to me was just the students' reactions. That they were getting credit for this um, new kind of learning and it was it was valid at school because even though I wasn't the teacher they sort of thought of me as like the teacher lady um, you know the teacher lady was validating these things so I, I just was it was really um, exciting stuff
4: can, can you guys share a little bit more about what's on that dashboard um, and it, I, mean, I can see that uh, it, it's great uh, if you could measure things like uh like grit persistence collaboration um do you have something in there about like how to measure creativity or innovation or resourcefulness uh those kind of things and like Liz mentioned uh, the kid being bold how did uh, how do you flag kids that that take risks and that uh, aren 't afraid to i mean we all talk about you know encouraging or um uh embracing failure. But it's, it's a matter of the goal of that is to encourage more risk taking, right? To say it's okay to mess up, but you have to take these risks. You just can't, you know, just uh, learn like the rest, like the herd, but you got to step out and, and try new things. That's, that's how you're going to learn. Um, so uh, back to your dashboard. Is it a dashboard that you can share or you can talk about? Sorry, Paul, if I'm taking over here. <laughs> <laughs>
3: um, I will say um, I'll let MJ talk a little bit about the score, you know, a little bit about the scoring um, that makes up the dashboard. But um, and I could pull up a picture of it. I don't know if that would, I guess not. I'll pull up a picture um, of it. I just need to. Um, do a quick little edit because um, I want to cut out the student names on it since this was just happened yesterday and be respectful uh, to those students. But um, so, so give me a second on that. We'll do some live editing. But I guess um, what I wanted to say is uh, the dashboards we're referring to are um, from playfully org, which is um, a project that that we're doing that um, brings reporting, this uh, concept of making learning visible. It um, allows developers to, um, to connect with us and to use our, our learning reports. So um, while MJ talks more specifically about it, I'll try to get an image that um, uh, removes student names.
2: Okay, so yeah, Randall, you asked like seven questions. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would love to think that we're that we're able to report on creativity, and that will come in time. But like, uh, I'll give you an example. So you know, we we are we're, we always start with this philosophy that games, um, at least good games, are actually already good for kids, and that the things they're doing in the games are actually valuable. So you know, you guys like Tim, you seem like you probably played a lot of games, and you know, you played that game where you collected everything, right? You collected all of the. Pokemon, or you collected every item or every object. You would make
5: yeah. you make the spreadsheet to know where you're going to collect the Pokemon, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. You've opened up your game FAQs or whatever and done that. So uh, what we and you feel really proud of it. You feel like I did something, man. That was big. And what we did, it's that it doesn't even have to be complicated. Is is we looked at um, within the Mars Generation One game, did you do that, or did you do that for at least one of the missions? And if so, let's report that out and give you credit for that. And, and say you are a persistent person, you are a focused person, you pulled that off. And so, actually, when Liz shows the reports, you're going to see one of the columns is, is that, right? And um, just as a person who's played a lot of games in my life, like I want all those, all credit for all that work that I did <laughs> in all those games. And, and I want somebody to acknowledge that when I did so, it was hard work, you know, and that I had to really stick with it or go create a spreadsheet or find someone else's spreadsheet or whatever I needed to do. Um, like the, to me, as as a person coming from the world of games, like this is exciting, and it's a, it's telling kids that when they when they make these investments in what we would today call twenty first century skills, that um, that we're going to value that, and we're going to we're going to find a way to discover it and report it back to to the people in your life.
5: Totally agree. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's it's also interesting to look at to to kind of address skepticism stuff that not only happens in the game, but Outside of the game, so kind of what I alluded to is like the spreadsheeting. There's like a really great. I had to pull this chapter up because it's like my favorite chapter in the Games Learning Society book, but it's the theory crafting chapter. This is this is probably a bit too deep for like you know uh, telling people about like kind of the base level about you know what's happening in games, but it's called Theory Crafting: The Art and Science of Using Numbers and Interpret the World by Trina. I think and Bonnie Nardi, but it basically talks about all the spreadsheeting and, like, calculations that people put in a game like World of Warcraft, right? And when you see these spreadsheets, they're not, like, really simple stuff. They're, like, insane. Like, they're I would never want to do this. It looks like work, but, like, people are doing this in, in, like, really deep levels of games to really crank out that advantage or, like, you know, collect everything or, or do what they want. And that part of gaming actually interests me a ton. It's not only how can we design games that, you know, you know, focus on learning. But how can we? How can they support all these other activities outside of games that people would look at and be like, "I instantly get it." Like, there's a lot of maybe work going into playing playing this thing, or, or you know, learning about this thing that they're really passionate about. So,
3: yeah. so just following up on on your point about like all of the calculations that are happening. Behind the scene, uh, behind the scenes, I think what's really nice and compelling to to show here is just that. Here's um, a really so the audience for this is as the teacher at this point, or and it also could be shared um, with parents. Um, we don't presently have access um, in that way, but it we could get, a teacher could print it out is what I'm saying, or email it to a parent. And I think what um, is so great is there is some some work. That that, well, quite a bit of work that goes into making uh, these calculations. But here's a really simple uh, report that any teacher could read to know uh, which students are achieving against some of these um, 20 21st century skills. There's actually more um, achievements in the game. I just took a quick snapshot of the first screen, Um, and you know, it's it's making it visible and it's making it simple. And then, um, and of course, um, along those lines, it's giving information that's useful for educators to actually make instructional decisions, because um, you don't want just data for, for you know data sake. Uh, you want um, information that's actually going to help the teacher um, further instruction or deepen learning, and so that's. Really, what we're we're trying to accomplish. We're still working on it. Um, we're constantly getting feedback on the reports that we're making, trying to really make sure that teachers will use this information and they'll use it uh, to teach, you know, to teach um, even um, in a more um, in a more engaging way or in a way that really uh, captures. Students' um, interests, so it's um, they're not reports just for a report's sake. At least we hope they're not. If if they are, then we have a lot more work to do. Yeah,
0: that's great. Thank you for sharing that, Liz. What does it say under bold there?
3: It says um, student is taking the initiative to change. Uh, positions at difficult times in order to make a better argument. Again, the game was about um, was about um, argumentation and um, reason thinking, and so um, that was uh, what we're using as the uh, description for bold in this context.
0: Yeah, I really like the
4: concept of this this type of dashboard. Uh, and that it can show that there is more learning than just the academic stuff that's in, that's in the game, which is very valuable today, especially with the, uh, with the lack of character that we see in like, places like the NFL um, and, and other places. So, I mean, uh, character education is, is something that we need to teach, but how do we effectively teach that? I read a report today about, um, on the KIPP schools and their character education report card program, um, and the effectiveness of that and the report said that that, uh, the KIPP schools they you know they emphasize this character education they have character report cards but um, the result of the study was that it did boost their academic performance Um, but in terms of character with a like uh, control set uh, it didn't really make a significant difference in their character education it made a big difference in their academics interestingly which was the main goal but as for character uh, the author thought maybe there's other methods to more effectively teach character education and one particular method that would be effective I think is these games uh, because uh, you know they are so immersive in that they uh, They you know have this opportunity to teach all these different character skills including being bold and innovative and creative and, Which is a, a really big thing and a really big need in school
1: that's a really great point as well. Um, so you've, t- you've, you've all touched to a certain degree on how video games can be used for learning in ways that they really weren't per- like perceived as being like, feasible or possible before. Um, what kind? Of, what are the some of the video games that you've seen that have been used for that purpose? So aside, from, um, so with Glass Lab games, uh, with Minecraft, as well as any other games that you, you've played and experienced uh, with students and with with adults. Um, how have you, how have they been used, and and what are some of the observations you found to be very interesting?
0: Um, I, I think particularly
5: with games that deal with virtual worlds, so like you inhabit some kind of avatar, and you collaboratively have to inhabit this world with like other people. Those worlds, I, I feel, do a pretty good job of at least making you aware that. Other, like another person kind of exists on the other side of the screen, you kind of have to treat them differently, at least with our Camp Minecraft program. Uh, we had a couple, like, moments where people had to learn to kind of acknowledge that someone else on the, behind this virtual character was a person, and they have feelings, and they have, you know, they don't like it when you take their stuff and things like that. But people would get, like, legitimately, legitimately upset when things wouldn't go their way. And, uh, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting notion, at least from a game design perspective, is that there are a lot of people who aren't used to multiplayer, or that idea of multiplayer, like, playing with other people online. But then through, like, kind of getting used to that world, they have to learn to kind of empathize with all the other players that they're inhabiting uh, the world with, which was kind of, like, a very interesting thing for me to see over the summer as someone who's been used to multiplayer all my life that someone that you could connect with someone else over the internet, not just like as a as a video hangout where you see their their human face or or you know typing to them on the forum, but you're interacting with them in a way that you normally wouldn't and you have to kind of learn, you know, to you know, just accept them as a person and not just as someone who's only out there to, to get you and ruin your experience it was interesting to watch. Some people do that. That's really messed up though.
1: Do you uh, So in terms of those experiences, and you, you brought up an interesting point, and I know that we've, we've talked about StarCraft to a certain degree as well. Um, do you feel like this, this sort of cooperative gameplay or, or this medium lends itself to critical thinking and like, strategy building? Um, do you feel like in your own, pers- like your own personal experiences, do you feel like the ability to build a strategy in real time and, and make changes really quickly and effectively um, has improved as a result of uh, your experiences or, or how other people have played games as well?
5: Yeah, for sure. I mean, there are, like, kind of two ideas here. One is, like, the collaborative gameplay and the competitive gameplay. So StarCraft is a competitive game. I think people understand it when you say it's more akin to real-time chess. You know, there's just a lot of stuff going on at once, and you have to think a lot um, before you make each move. So that's kind of where the out-of-game collaboration comes in. It's like you want to talk to your friends, like, what's the best strategy? What are you doing? How are you winning? How are you losing? And you bring it into the game, and then there you're kind of isolated against someone in a one v one versus one environment. But in the same in the same respect with any competitive medium, you kind of have to learn to to lose gracefully, or just lose a lot. Like I think something in the StarCraft community that people say is like just lose the first hundred games. Like losing is a goal in competitive games. It's like just lose your first hundred games because that's how you're gonna learn the fastest. Um, and it definitely at least helped shape my own like way to perceive how to approach something is just like fail really fast uh, at something that you really want to get good at and I think through the interviews we did with the previous StarCraft research that held true to a lot of other people is like you know people who are really hard, hard hardcore StarCraft fanatics would say yeah I just love to you know lose at this game whenever I get the chance because you know it's a great learning opportunity but I love to win as well I think a really big point of tension there is it, it feels really awful to lose, like, it it just it still sucks to lose, like, all the time, um, and, and for, that's not for everybody, like, I just come to learn that not everyone likes to go through those experiences, and developing some way to kind of say it's okay to lose, or it, it feels worse to lose, I think is a, is a goal for a lot of game designers, but at the same time, uh, it is a part of the experience, and, and sometimes it isn't for, for everyone, which is the unfortunate part, or the part that we need to overcome. I think that also lends itself to a lot of the skepticism as well. Is like when you lose, you're like, "Oh, I know this is
0: good for me, but this is awful, and I don't want to do it again because I just feel awful." So,
2: yeah, the, actually, Tim, it's, there's some interesting data that so I'm, uh, from my past life when I worked at Electronic Arts, um, and we did some studies on um, on people playing sports games and discovered that uh, the people who were most likely to continue playing were those that actually split their winning and losing
5: 50-50. Oh, nice.
2: Yeah, so you you intuitively might say, well, the people who win a lot are the ones that want to keep playing, but in fact, uh, people need to lose relatively often to continue to be interested, so it's very interesting.
5: That's, inter- that's super interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think games now who, who do automated matchmaking, and that, that, what that means is if you the game assigns you, like, a skill ranking, and then they it up a, a whole population of players a skill ranking, and it does its best to match you with people who are better, like, around the same range as you to, to keep that 50-50. Um, that's really interesting. I think it's also interesting to see that these skill ranking um, systems also rank you with people who are better than you. So, like, they, for, they kind of, like... You know, stack the deck against you. It's like you might lose, but if you win, that means you're improving, right? I think that's also a really interesting element that is being built into games. Is like being paired up with someone who is better than you, who may, you know, completely trash you with the game. But it's kind of a way to telling you, kind of a way to tell you that, oh, you're getting matched up with someone better. You you might be improving, so keep at it. Um, but again, like the balance between winning and losing, that's that's really a key part I feel, and also really interesting
4: yeah that's how games keep you in that, that flow state, right? Uh, trying to match you up with somebody just a little bit better than you. Um, yeah. Something else that, that games could do also uh, I mean that that um, if, you, if you lose every time you're going to get discouraged, but if you lose and you've got a strategy about how to get better the next time, as long as you've got that little strategy, oh, I can do this a little bit better. maybe the game could give feedback on oh you could you could have positioned this a little better, you could have used the spell a little bit better. Uh, some hints about what to do better, maybe a dashboard for yourself about that game uh, uh, and then you can go back and improve on that. So as long as you got that optimism that you can get better the next time then losing not not so bad. It's actually kind of a good thing then.
5: Yeah, the fee- feedback in that area is like insanely important I feel because people get the most frustrated when they're like when they kinda have to make up the reasons in their head and sometimes the reasons aren't really valid. Um, I mean you know it's, you're frustrated and it's understandable but like to get you know that's where active feedback from the game is is really valuable. Not all games give that. It's a it's a big challenge.
4: Yeah, and also that's kind of where if it's a, a multiplayer game and you're working and as, as a team, that's where um, the opportunity for a lot of the social emotional learning can come in. So how to deal with your teammates, how to not make excuses that it's not your fault, it's their fault. There, how do you um, how do you have more self control and how do you uh, have empathy for your
0: your teammates? So you know. Games are, can be really good at that.
1: Nope. Uh, <laughs> so, in terms of um, how how you're you're building gameplay and then and then doing uh, playing it in a way that is really useful, especially in the classroom, uh, when you're talking to to parents as well about like how these games, not necessarily made for learning are providing learning opportunities, um, what are the other ways in which uh, parents can get involved or, or how they can get to know how the game works better and, and how to also engage with it with their kids?
0: That, that's a tough question about parents because a, a lot of parents um,
4: they don't actually play the game. They 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 won't even sit down for 10 minutes to play the game. Um, and so it's hard to to describe what the game is without them actually going in and playing it. So if you can design um, some kind of learning experience, maybe that you're a lesson plan that you have to work with a parent, and the parent has to get in there in order to complete that lesson, then maybe you know it'll motivate that parent to actually get into Minecraft or whatever it is, and then say, oh, okay, and this is what it's all about. Because I think that's a big step just to get the 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 parents some experience in actual gaming.
3: Yeah, and just thinking about it um, from an educator's perspective, I I recently was working with a group of educators um, on some concepts around a new game, and we were really talking about what were the barriers to acceptance, Um, and they sort of broke it down for me into like three things. Uh game developers have to do to win the hearts and minds of of teachers and and kids and then ultimately um, parents as well and the first thing was um, this concept that we already discussed um, about reports that say you know to make that learning visible, so we covered that. The second thing was just um, especially um, uh, teachers are accountable for for their students' learning. I mean, we can't escape the pressures that the teachers face. And so making sure that these games, that the connection to whether it's the standards or curriculum that teachers are accountable for in their classrooms, that uh, games address it, um, and that there's a clear communication on, on, that, um, on the connection that's being made um, by using the game. The third most important thing, they're actually not in order of important, but the third thing they, they told me was that kids have to love the game. There's, you don't want to put anything new into your classroom that kids aren't just totally psyched about, because there's, there's no point. Um, so you have to make sure the game is fun so that um, kids, uh, so that there's no engagement problems. Like that is in- critically important. And um, teachers won't change their practice unless it makes their lives easier. And l- most of the time, the definition of life easier is that kids like something, that kids are excited, that um, that you know kids are fully um, embracing the learning experience. That's usually what uh, making um, a teacher's life easier is all about is that kid you know that learning is happening. And so I would say that um, you know it, you're A teacher isn't going to take something out that they've used forever and ever unless um, it's really worth it. The kids are loving it um, and then it meets the other two criteria that I mentioned before.
1: Okay, so in terms of well th- it's, you brought up an interesting point about how like we don't necessarily want to to replace any existing tools that they have in the classroom, any existing curriculum um, and th- and that video games are a channel with which um, there there can just be increased engagement for especially since um, students now like have have increased digital literacy have different ways in which they engage with each other. Um so in terms of of other anecdotes or other thoughts you have on on how games can evolve over time, say not just in terms of say reporting but in terms of uh, like critical thinking skills or or forms of gameplay that you would be interested in seeing later on um, do you have do you have any thoughts or inspiration of like what you would like to see next?
4: I do. Uh, I'd like to see. Uh well, I'm a big proponent of transmedia, and so I think that transmedia is one of the best ways we can teach our kids just literacy skills. Uh, and you know, you see see kids, well, I see adults, you know, in front of the TV with an iPad, with their phone, with all this kind of and everything going on at once, and they're consuming and creating all this kind of media. And so, um, these transmedia games like ARGs and other transmedia games that are coming out, they're ideal for teaching these literacy skills. So uh, You've got games like Ingress and uh, and others that are kind of uh, digital games, but uh, semi-transmedia games too. But I think if we see a melding of all these different media together, including digital games as one of them, maybe as a leading, up, maybe as the center of it, um, and you've got all these other media going on, telling a complete story in a complete world, uh, then you've got some huge learning experience, and, you know, who knows, maybe someday that can take over a whole classroom and be a course in itself. So that's kind of you know a future thought. But I think um, um, just the digital game, just on your computer, just on on one uh, piece of hardware, um, maybe trying to expand
0: beyond that to include other media. Well, what do you guys think? I think that's um, that's
5: super interesting because. Because, like, at least the way I look at it, like, certain games, if you if you extend the scope at which you observe them, they are kind of, in a way, all transmedia, you know what I mean? Like, a lot of stuff from, the like game world overflows to the real world. I have, like, very little experience with, like, actual transmedia games. Like, I have Ingress on my phone, but I'm not, like, walking... For those of you who don't know, Ingress is, like, a game where you actually have to use your GPS on your phone. You walk around in the real world and you collect, like, uh, what is... It's, like, kind of points towards your faction... Then you capture points for your faction that's represented in the game, but um, I've seen a lot of games like uh, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but it's like the teacher, it's like some RPG add-on to to the classroom where like kids not only get points, but their points level up their digital avatar in the game and things like that. I haven't really explored, but i, I found like really interesting because you're right, it's like not really a game you interact, you engage with, but it augments your experience
2: um, instead of like kind of encapsulates it. So. Yeah, I mean, it, it's like, in a way, it would be impossible to consider Minecraft without YouTube. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, the, the the two the two are actually kind of go hand in hand. Um, and of course, if you've been paying any attention to like how much money just got paid for Twitch TV, which again is like the that it's this transmedia experience of games, right? It's it, it's definitely a huge, uh, huge part of what goes on just in game culture. Um, and you know, I, I wouldn't say that I have great ideas exactly how we want to bring that out in educational software yet but one of the things that we really see is that um, a game learning experience is a huge conversation starter so there's something about having experienced this idea rather than just read about it or being told about it that makes everyone kids and adults want to talk about it oh I tried this did you try that oh did you Oh, how did that work out you know so they have these kind of conversations around the subject um, are like this huge opportunity that I think when you think of uh, Randall's idea of transmedia yeah of course kids want to share this out they want to write about their experience because it's their experience it's not something that they just read about
5: I think the twitch the twitch thing is actually real interesting because that that's been my world actually for the past like couple years is um at least like I said earlier the way I think about it, games right now are all kind of some kind of transmedia experience. I guess that's like the cough out answer. Is like all games are transmedia experience if you really scope it out to, to, to that length. But it's very true. Like uh, going. Like I'm just really excited about that chapter in the the Games Loading Society book. That all this production that's happening with games is like it's it's really like the game is only one component of 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 kind of this whole community and ecosystem. Like when like even game developers now are, are building streaming into their game platform so people can capture video and share it out. And they encourage people to engage in these in these things that aren't necessarily the game itself, but like this community of, of video and, and forums and, and, and things in social media outside the game. So um, I, I guess an interesting thing to think about when we think about games and learning, it's like games plus community plus learning, You know, everything around the game, not just the game itself for design.
1: And there is a very large community from education and, and video games who, who are interested in interacting with each other now, and it's, and it's growing in conversation um, day by day. So uh, we have a question from Catherine on Google+. Uh, what would be some way, uh, what are some recommendations in which uh, educators who might not necessarily be comfortable with video games don't necessarily know how to use them, but are interested in engaging? Um, how, how could they start, or, or how can they get more involved in the community?
3: Well, I think the, the first thing I would recommend is um, that teachers talk to the experts they know and in this case um, experts are are their students and my first recommendation would be to have uh, teachers um, Go to their students. I, I've definitely heard this um, theme with with Minecraft in the past that um, teachers were introduced to it uh, by their students and then had to learn the game uh, with their students. And so I think that's um, a, a great way to start um, and and get um, comfortable with it. Um, and uh, students, of course, will look forward for look forward to being teachers themselves and to um, sharing their knowledge, so that would be a very concrete, concrete thing. Because there's, you know, depending on who the teacher is, there could be anywhere from thirty to one hundred and twenty experts uh, right there at their fingertips. Um, another thing I, I would just say is that um, sometimes teachers don't consider themselves gamers, but they're playing um, games on their phones and they're playing. They're like, I'm not a gamer, but I play Words with Friends, Plants You know, they let, like they list all these things they are doing and I think um, that's another thing is just making sure what, that the definition of, of game is, is big and in many ways um, teachers uh, can can think about the games that they are playing themselves and how uh, what kind of learning they um, as, as learning experts can draw out of the game. Um, others probably have um, very um, concrete resources that um, they can cite but I want to just to give it up to all the students out there as uh, game experts.
4: Yeah, I fully agree with that, uh, asking your students. Uh, another thing I would do if I'm a teacher that is not very video game savvy or tech savvy is uh, play non-digital games with your kids first. Uh, you know, just play board games or card games or something. Just get the idea of, of playing a, learning, a game that's a traditional entertainment game and using it in the classroom to teach something. And then start there, and then gradually make your way to, to uh, other to digital games. So just get the idea of gaming and learning in their heads first, just to get them uh, to think more like a gamer. I think that's a, a big hurdle, is that educators don't really, they have a different mindset than, uh, than kids, because the kids have this gaming mindset
0: and teachers have this traditional mindset, so crossing over that that hurdle is a big thing.
2: Yeah, I would just second that, Randall, about uh, using non-digital games. Um, I've actually taught uh, game design um, at the collegiate level, and we always start with, with non-digital games. As part of, like, this is actually what game literacy looks like, is we start with understanding how those games work. Uh, and then we can, we can go and on to digital later. Um, yeah, but there, there's so many great, if you were to take, like you said, just like you said, a popular, uh, available board game, um, have kids play it and then ask the kids to modify it, uh, uh, to, to talk about some subject or whatever. Like, that's a great activity for all those sort of advanced systems thinking stuff that we like. Um, it would be a great uh, way to start.
1: And so for, for ways to, to engage outside of the classroom, so when, when you're, you're engaging in these discussions, and, and you've all raised points of, like, there are many different ways to kind of get into the gamer mindset. Um, and even beyond, beyond the term of the gamer, everybody just learns a different way. Um, and how they, they show those learnings, and how they're developing their own understanding, um, like, you know, manifests in different ways. Um, so even, even outside of the classroom, uh, when, you're, when you're going out, um, say you're you're waiting at a bus stop um, with your kid, or or you're on, in public transit, um, just waiting around. Um, are there any other ways in which you have seen these types of gaming and learning in your lives? Um, is there anything applicable to, to how you can develop um, like a, a competency or an understanding of gaming in that space?
4: Um, I'll jump in again if that's okay. Uh, I have a uh, I'm, I'm big on. On this game, I call it a gameful mindset. To have the mindset of a gamer, and I uh, and I think that uh, if you have a gameful mindset, it uh, pervades through every part of your life. So if you're waiting at a bus stop, maybe you're, you're counting the number of red cars that go by versus you know you have your a stranger there counting the number of yellow cars. You're like you make something into a game, but uh, you make everything into like a game-like experience. Uh, uh, I do this thing brushing my teeth. Uh, I try to stand on my on one leg, balance myself on one leg for like a minute, trying to brush my teeth, till the thing goes off, um, and then try to go on the other leg. So it's a challenge to take this tedious task of brushing my teeth and then turning into like, into something like a game. So this kind of gameful mindset it kind of pervades our our whole thing, our whole way of thinking, our whole life, and I think that's. Um, uh, the difference between teachers and students today is that they can't understand where the kids are coming from. Kids need this constant feedback. They need these constant challenges. Uh, they need these goals, and and um, sometimes and oftentimes the the teaching or the curriculum doesn't give it to them. So uh, games are really good at that. So, but it's this whole notion of a gameful mindset that I think is a big thing.
0: Any comments?
2: Yeah, I love that term. I I, I often. Uh I like to say all the world's a game, uh, just to sort of tweak Shakespeare a little bit to what, what I think is, is more modern. Um, and, uh, uh, like, I, I remember having a, a great uh, lecture recently about um, that whole thing where they closed off the toll booths at the bridge in New Jersey, uh, which was all this big political thing. And, in fact, if you break it, break it down, you can see that you had a bunch of people playing a game with each other and that the strategies that they were using and the feedback they were getting, which in some cases didn't work out like they thought it would, could really be interpreted as a bunch of game mechanics. And isn't that a really interesting way to look at, at the whole world around you? Like, everything has these dynamic bits that play back and forth amongst each other, and, um, and it's a way of understanding, you know, kind of like what I was saying way back in the beginning, it's, it's a type of literacy for understanding the world around us as systems. And when you start to think of things as games, those systems become more transparent and you can kind of see through how they work.
1: Well we have uh, about eight minutes until the top of the hour. Um, if anybody has any last-minute questions or comments um, please feel free to reach out to us on Google Plus or Twitter using hashtag connected um, I'd like to, to give everyone the opportunity to have, to provide any closing thoughts or, or any sort of moments of inspiration they had during this, this uh, webinar. MJ, would you like to start? <laughs>
2: uh, I just, you know, I hear more and more um, that, that just during the, the two years and uh, a little bit that we've been doing Glass Lab, it feels like the conversation uh, on this topic of, of uh, use of games in classrooms has shifted from I don't know if that's a good idea to I want to know how to implement it. And uh, to me, that's really exciting. It's, it's, it means that the opportunities are, are really big and, and that there's a lot of open-mindedness
0: uh, in the system right now. Uh, Liz, what are your thoughts?
3: I guess I I was just gonna say that um, I came into Glass Lab not considering my uh, not I didn't consider myself a gamer, and I learned um, very quickly that I had a gameful mindset um, and that. Um, if I were to go back in the classroom, which is still a possibility for me, um, you know that I would absolutely embrace um, embrace uh, games. Um, but I would be the first to need tutoring um, from my students. Um, and uh, the other thing I guess I I want to say is, um, you know, when Glass Lab is is working, um, especially on things like dashboards. Um, we we try um, as much as we can to be mindful of teachers' experience, and there's all different kinds of teachers, and there's not just one um, persona for teachers. So, if there's anyone on this um, listening to us today who who wants to help um, us and give feedback on the kind of reporting that we're doing because we don't want a one one size fits all kind of thing, um, please um, connect with us um, at glasslabgames.org and and you can be part of the conversation with us and and part of the design team in a sense to make sure that as we make uh, learning visible that um, educators are part of crafting what that means. So That's my last little, little thing to contribute. Thank you, Liz. Um, and so we we have
1: uh, one more question from a a parent, Vivian on Twitter, uh, and perhaps uh, for for you two uh, something to chew on, not necessarily having like, a final answer. Uh, but how do we move beyond the the constant concern? Uh, of, of video games and screen time, and sitting in front of you know sitting in front of a screen, uh, not directly interacting or having difficulties with with the digital medium, um, despite the fact that we know that games have the potential to be educational. How can we address that?
4: I guess I can take a stab at that. Um, is the question for kids or for us? I think because it's a problem for us too. I think that uh, I mean here we're in front of a screen for an hour here, uh, so. For kids, though, I mean, there are studies that you know, X amount of screen time is is detrimental. So, um, so you do have to watch. You know, you you can't have your kid playing Minecraft for like six hours straight or, or something, or playing up you know till three in the morning, um, even though they'll do that. But um, how can you encourage them to break away from that? Uh, is I don't know, I don't have the answers to that, but maybe they, maybe game designers do have the answers that. Uh, that maybe it limits the time after you know it cuts you off after a certain amount of time, or it take, makes you take a break. You're supposed to take a break every what half an hour or so and, and stretch your eyes. So I do these eye exercises every half an hour to try to uh, you know look away from the screen. But um, you know maybe it can be designed into games or to if it's a if it's a learning game, especially maybe it can, do, can be designed into that that uh, that you need to take breaks.
5: Want go? I'm going to go with the cop-out not answer that, again, it's like there. It, you have to treat games kind of like any other medium. It's like would you limit time on a book and a movie? And you actually would, right? Like you don't want someone to sit reading a book for 12 hours a day. You don't want people watching movies for 24 hours at a time. Same with games. The, the thing interesting you bring up is like there was a recent study featured on a, a gaming blog called Polygon about, you know, this amount of games daily is good and this amount less than these hours is bad and more hours... I personally am always very skeptical of those things only because games are very diverse. Like we're all here talking about games as one thing. But you know, like we were saying earlier, people play things like Words of Friends, Angry Birds, or Mobile Games, and there are people who play things like Minecraft, and there are hardcore people who play games like World of Warcraft or StarCraft. Like all those games take a different amount of time to engage with. Like you would never sit down and play World of Warcraft for five minutes. You would get nothing done. You can totally play Words of Friends like asynchronously for five minutes. So um, it is a hard question to tackle, but I think it. we can all take comfort in the fact that it is a hard question. Like, if you don't have the answer, that's, like, quite okay. Just like in games, if you don't have the answer, that's quite okay. Everyone's figuring it out. And I've had friends who are, you know, game developers, software developers, like, any kind of... They work in different fields, even professional gamers who had very different experiences growing up. Some people had, like, one hour a weekend for like a week and some people played for 24 hours like it's just a different experience we all have to tackle face on i i am pushing for the fact that there is kind of no right answer and i don't think there ever will be in, in that respect might be a bit scary because people want the answer but in, in truth tell me if tell me what the screen time is on books and then i'll tell you what the screen time is on games and then we'll have our answer
1: <laughs> well i mean that's that's a great way to close i think i mean that that'll certainly inspire and, and you know, provoke people to kind of find ways to explore that answer. Um, thank you everyone for having such an amazing conversation. Um, to the audience, we'll have a full video of this recording uh, available immediately on www.connectedlearning.tv, uh, as, long as, uh, as well as with other curated content on the way that you can share with your network. Uh, this wraps up the second webinar of our month-long series, but that doesn't mean the conversations have to end there. Uh, we encourage everyone to keep keep the energy going and keep the conversations going using the Twitter hashtag ConnectedLearning and by getting involved in our ongoing conversations uh, within the Connected Learning Google Plus community. Uh, If you're interested about upcoming webinars as well as other Connected Learning highlights, um, visit uh, www.connectedlearning.tv and signing up for the email newsletter. Uh, we hope to see you online next Thursday, uh, September 25th at the same time, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. Uh, we'll be discussing what design characteristics video games um, uh, make video games more inspiring or motivated for engaged learning. Thank you again, everyone.